Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. This is Always Be Watching. It's our regular discussion about the good old TV shows you should be checking out. My name is Dan Barrow. I'm joined by... Chris Yates. Chris, we begin every episode by one of us asking the other, what have you been watching this week? Not breaking format. Chris, <laughs> what have you been watching? Oh, Dan, I'm glad you asked. I've been watching a show uh, called Flowers. Now, what we're about to tell you may seem like an awful, awful thing. And in almost every sense, it is. We've done such a good job with the twins. You don't shoot family! Everyone knows that! It's a good sign that they still want to live at home, even though they're 25. And they're good parents, aren't they? Okay, Flowers, I think I know what this program is, Chris, but run me through it. What is this show? Flowers is a British sitcom in the tradition of British sitcoms. So, short seasons... 25-minute episodes, you know how it works. Yeah, lots of uh, people, men dressing up in women's outfits, <laughs> yes. running around fast. Yeah, 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 yeah sure. Yeah. yeah, not a lot of that. Uh, this one um, is actually, I would say, a bit of a vehicle for um, the actor that is now referred to as the Academy Award-winning Olivia Coleman. Oh, you mean Peep Show's Olivia Coleman? Peep Show's Olivia Coleman. Do you mean Rev's Olivia Coleman? <laughs> yes, I think that's the same one, yes. Do you mean Doctor Who's Olivia Coleman? She has been doing quite a lot of work in the last few years. Been very very popular, and I think because of her outstanding turn in Peep Show. Do you mean Fleabag's Olivia Coleman? <laughs> For how good's Fleabag? The, the, the thing about uh, Olivia Coleman is that I think even over the course of Peep Show, you can get to see her go through this dramatic range of characters, and like, you know, um, Sophie's character change a lot and our response to Sophie through the eyes of Mark Corrigan changes a lot as well now I've never seen Flowers I'm keen to give this a look especially knowing that Fleabag Rev and Peep Show's <laughs> Livia Coleman's in this the thing that always gets me about Olivia Coleman is I don't know what she's like as a leading actress because I d- haven't seen anything where she's been a leading actress before. Yeah. Like, I know that she is and I know these things are out there. I've just not experienced them. Yeah. And so she's always struck me as not necessarily like a comedic foil for people, but I love her presence because she always brings a sense of like stability and order to anything that's happening in a show. Absolutely. Yeah, and it doesn't need to be wild and crazy around her, but she's always just like this really great sort of central figure anytime she's on screen. And she's screen. very real, you know? She's very yeah. real. Relatable and very real, even when she's doing kind of outlandish stuff, and even like, when she's Fleabag's probably the craziest that yeah. her characters get from what I've seen of her. And like even then, like that's she still seems really grounded and a character that I'd be more than happy to follow on her own. Absolutely. Well, and this is, um, I mean, basically it's her and Julian Barrett of the Mighty Boosh and um, Nathan Barley uh, as the um, husband and wife. Uh, his character's name's Maurice. He writes kids' books, and he's spiraling into depression, uh, finding it more and more difficult to write these very successful children's books because they're kind of because uh, he's in a bad place. Uh, he's keeping it from the family, which is uh, the two. They have two twins, and um, Olivia Coleman is suspicious uh, of what's going on. She doesn't really think he's got depression. She thinks he's having an affair and all this other kind of stuff. And she's just sort of struggling to put on a happy face. And sounds hilarious. Yeah. So the thing is, it actually is really funny. Like I was, I found myself laughing out loud, mostly at her performance. Um, Julian Barrett is very kind of like, I don't know. He's, he's not a comedian. He's very much an actor and, um, an actor or an actor, an actor. Uh, he's, he's no toast, but, you know, when he's in the right role, he's really... I mean, he, he kind of... He's quite good at inhabiting a role, I think. And he does that very well, like, once you... You know, if you can get past the idea of him um, being in his previous roles, which is also a bit hard to do because he doesn't play two outside of that. But, uh, yeah, he, he definitely takes the character on well. It's written by an interesting character whose name is Will Sharp, who has not written a whole lot of stuff, but started on um, some BBC shows like Buzzcocks and... 
Um, he's an he's been in he's a comedian as well, and he's been in quite a few things. Very familiar face, but um, I can't. He's a he's a Japanese English actor, and I can't. Nothing that was like nothing that really stood out to me. But um, uh, once I sort of started looking him up, I was like, oh, that's very interesting that he has written this show because the writing is fantastic. It's really really high quality. I don't know too much about the production of how this yeah, happened. Yeah. Do you know much about it? I do. So this was a show in the UK that aired on Channel Four. But it was actually made as a co-production with CISO, which was a short-lived streaming comedy service that you got from the US. Uh, it was run by NBC Universal. Stri- like subscription numbers weren't particularly high, and so they cancelled it after about two years. So I'm guessing that because this only ran for yeah, two seasons, yeah, this is a two-season show, that's and right. just six episodes a season, so twelve all up. And it looks like this sort of coincided more or less with the end of CISO. Yeah, right. Interesting, because I'm going to be... Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out, because it seems like they're laying the foundation for it to be a pretty big story, and the characters are all very good. The the two children are very interesting. They kind of reminded me of the um the brother-sister off uh, Schitt's Creek, if you've watched much Schitt's Creek. They, I've, they I've not the, yet. They have the uh, excellent kind of adult child. You know, they're still children, all like, because of their grown up into this, you know, affluent family and they don't really grow up properly. They have a bit of that about them, which I found really funny as well. It's uh, currently screening on the Netflix mm. screening. The streaming? <laughs> streaming. Both seasons? Um, both seasons are on there, yes. And I guess there won't be any more, which is a shame. I was hoping you would tell me, no, there's another one in production, but uh, there you go. Well, it looks like two seasons and done. Well, that's fun. That's, that's fine by me too. It's been a few years now, so I think it's probably... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Run down. Uh, and probably Olivia Colman's probably getting much better offers than doing um, little bits on sitcoms. Who knows? Look, I would imagine. Now, it's kind of cool you were talking about a British show because I'm also planning to discuss something from old Blighty. <laughs> Get out. I know. Um, you'll have to wait till I uh, ask you the very important question, Dan. Uh, what I'm have you, waiting. <laughs> what have you been watching? Chris, I've been watching a little TV show called... Four weddings and a funeral. Oh, my God. Do we really have to go to this party? Your friends don't even like me. What are you talking about? My friends love you. No, they don't. They think I'm trashy and that my boobs are fake, which they are, but your friends don't know that. Maya, this is my boyfriend, Cash. Wait, this is Cash? His father works at the airport. Maybe he could help Uh, me find that cute guy. Did you call him Ryan Gosling dipped in caramel? I did not say that. Have you ever had the feeling you've gone down the wrong path? Like, somewhere along the line, you've made a bad choice, and now it's too late to go back. I feel like that literally every day. Now, Chris, you will have noticed I said a TV show for weddings and a funeral. I've I've regularly read something about this in the Always Be Watching newsletter, which I read every day. Um, Why does this exist, Dan? Okay. What's the point? It exists because we live in a period of peak TV, (laughs) and if you walk into a network and say, look, I've got... A great idea to adapt, insert name of show, insert name of movie, and turn it into 10 episode TV show. They immediately say, green light, let's go for it. Right. Which, when I get into one of those meeting rooms, Chris, I'm going to say, I've got this movie, Ron Howard's The Paper from 1994, TV show, let's go for it. We're going to bring back Michael Keaton, and no longer is he the assistant editor or whatever his editor's title was. He's now the proper editor. You've sold me. Green I'm, I'm greenlighting you. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's go. You had me at Ron Howard. Anyway, he'll be a producer on it. Yeah, of course. Maybe with an Arrested Development style narration over the top. Yes. This is Mindy Kaling. You'd know her from. Oh, of course. You know, being Mindy Kaling. Uh, she's teamed up with one of the writers from The Mindy Project, uh, also someone who's written on shows like The Simpsons and uh, Community. He was writing on for a little mm. while there. Uh, his name is Matt Warburton. And the two of them have brought the Four Weddings and a Funeral movie as written originally by... Curtis? Yeah, uh, Richard Curtis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, He's not on this. Good. And look, I... 
I don't tend to like Richard Curtis's stuff. I've kind of got a bit of a soft spot for about time. But oh outside god, of that, I thought at least you were going to say Blackadder. No, of, of, which you know, of Blackadder, course. get off it! Oh my god, no! I, for, I remember your anti-Blackadder stance. It's ridiculous. About time was delightful. Oh but anyway, uh, I didn't really care for the movie so much, sure. and I tried rewatching part of it the other day for weddings and a funeral. Yeah. Yes, right, and yeah, just doesn't oh, hold. It's terrible. But the TV show, what they've done is because it's an American TV show, but they are maintaining a connection to the UK by having four Americans who've been living in the UK for a while. Right. So you've got, you know, American, uh, what do you call them, accents. So you won't feel strange and out of place. You'll mm. understand what's going on, Chris. This just sounds like a disaster. Okay. It, it keeps going all over this place for me. Here's a, it's made for Hulu in the US. They're rolling it out week to week. Uh, they dropped four episodes at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I sat down. I thought, I'm going to get halfway through episode one. I got through four episodes. Oh I have to say, it's not good, but there is something kind of just charming enough about it to keep you watching. Is Mindy in it? Mindy's not in it. Yeah. The cast the of it is going to be getting me in over the line. <laughs> well, you got Natalie Emmanuel, who's the lady from Game of Thrones. Uh, she was hanging out with Never uh, heard the of Queen it. of Dragons. Never heard of it. Uh, you, you don't know your Game of Thrones. <laughs> anyway, she's a lovely lady. Uh, you've got an actress named, and I don't really know her. She's uh, Rebecca Rittenhouse. She's been in a whole bunch of things. She was in Handmaid's Tale and a few other things around the place. Um, a dude from You're the Worst named Brandon Michael Smith. And if you've watched You're the Worst, this guy will be very familiar to you as one of the rappers that was the client of the uh, female lead in the show. And someone that you might recognize, Chris. Oh, you didn't watch The Stranger Things, did you? Hated Stranger Things. Hated Stranger Things. You're a monster. <laughs> did you ever watch The Search Party? No, you told me to. And I was, oh, no, so, I did watch Search yeah. Party. That was excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah Search yeah. Party's well in your world. Well, I watched, I, the first season was excellent. The second season sucked. Yeah, I never got past the first episode of season two. No. But first episode, first, very good. First season was incredible. But yeah, the fourth lead in the show is this guy, John Reynolds, who was in Stranger Things and Search Party. And if you look at him, it's this guy, Chris. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, looking, guy, I'm looking on here. Yeah, he doesn't usually have that awful moustache that's in his IMDb profile picture. No, I'm on his other thing. In it. Anyway, four yeah. weddings and a funeral. <laughs> the premise of it is is that there's three Americans that have been living in the UK. The Natalie Emmanuel character has a, we'll say, a relationship issue at the very beginning. Forces her to fly over to the UK and she gets involved with her old friends. One of them has been pining after her for years since they because they're all in college together. Right. Anyway, so he's got plans to, you know, reveal all. I don't remember much about the movie Four Weddings and a Funeral because I only made it a few minutes in when I was watching the <laughs> film the other week. Uh, but I have to say, like, it, it was kind of charming. It, like, ta- every single rom-com trope is definitely touched upon. And I thought I'd really hate this. I don't. I thought it would at least have the dude out of the movie that does the uh, speech. Because, like, the, the, the whole thing about the movie is there's this speech that, like, you know, is told at the, one of the funerals. And it's this speech that now gets retold at boring people's funerals all around the world <laughs> uh, who had nothing in their... Uh, oh, God, that's a horrible thing for me to say. Um, I'm but it's so, probably I, true. I'm sorry if, you, if it was at your mum's. Um, funeral, Jesus! It just I keep making it worse. But yeah, no. So I, I would expect some kind of connection with that film, but no, there's zero connections. Uh, well, the only real actual connection in terms of cast carrying over, as far as I've recognised, Andy McDowell makes a brief appearance as the mother of one of the like, people in it. Right. Yeah. 
Um, but anyway, so far I've seen, I think, one wedding and one funeral. Okay. A few, few more to go then. Yeah. Couple more. <laughs> Few more weddings, no more funerals. Yeah, at so least at least the sad the sad bits out of the way already. Unless yeah, yeah. So this is on safe. Hulu in the US. I don't think it's got an Australian distributor yet. And you know, maybe just look around and see if you can find it. Oh, I will. Be holding yeah. my breath till get, that happens. Get onto it, Chris, you'll love it. <laughs> no, and it's a show which I wouldn't necessarily recommend to anyone, but if they came across it, like maybe just watch the first episode and see if you're digging it. And there's a good chance you might just keep on going. It's just good enough. Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh Chris Yates. <laughs> Have you been watching something which is possibly better than Four Weddings and a Funeral, the TV series? I've been watching something. I can't even comment on whether it's better or not. You're <laughs> going to hate me for even bringing this up, but I have to do it because oh God. I did it. Are you going to talk about The Simpsons again? <laughs> no. I've been, I watched This week, I watched Beverly Hills Cop 3. <laughs> oh, no. Some guy. What should I do? Kill him. Uh, how you doing? Is this the illegal chop shop? One of them illegal places where they chop up cars? Because I got a Buick out here belonging to my wife. I want to get the shit chopped up because the bitch ain't been acting right. You know what I mean? Can you come out and take a look at it for me, please? Okay, Chris. Beverly Hills Cop 3. How does it stack up? Okay. Well, I, I'll give you a little a little bit of background. Uh, we were chatting last week about, um, or a couple of weeks ago, about the comedians in Cars Drinking Coffee, the new Jerry Seinfeld old series, um, of which I'd love to do another bit about because it's just... It, it just is literally more and more of a car crash this season the more I watch of it. But the first episode has got a 45-minute interview with Eddie Murphy. Uh, it's incredible just to get an insight into Eddie, really. Eddie's kind of popped back into the mainstream um, news cycle, I guess, over an interview that was in Playboy magazine in the late 90s wherein he detailed the his experience of working with um, John Landis and um, how... Beverly Hills Cop 3, how John Landis came to be the director of Beverly Hills Cop 3, which was always something I thought was very strange because it was kind of like, obviously he had this connection with Eddie from Trading Places, but it was still a very weird franchise to kind of like, for him to just be shoehorned into. Now, did he also direct him in that film, A Vampire in Brooklyn? You might, yes, that sounds familiar. You might be right. I think they did, they did definitely do another one together and that could well be it. Okay, can I give the synopsis for Beverly Hills Cop 3? <laughs> Please. A film that I have not seen. You've never seen it? No, no. I've seen the first two, obviously, yeah, but I never yeah. saw the third. I might have seen, actually, you know what? I have seen the third one. Right. I remember watching it when it came out and we were watching it on video at my friend Dennis's house. There you go. Shout out to Dennis. Yep. Um, Axel Foley, while investigating a car theft ring, comes across something much bigger than that. The same men who shot his boss are running a counterfeit money ring out of a theme park in Los Angeles. And hilarity is sure to ensue. So it's this kind of like, it, it, it's a real weird situation because um, there's, there's just so much weirdness about this film. So obviously I don't think they ever thought they were going to make a Beverly Hills Cop 3. I think um, Eddie Murphy's star would have been starting to wane by that stage. So I guess they were trying to do it in order to rejuvenate him, remind people of his, you know, kind of career high. Um, his most famous role. John Landis's name was dirt because of the uh, horrible, horrible things that happened on the um, Twilight Zone movie uh, set involving the deaths of children, um, more of which you can read about. I'm not going to get into it. It's horrible. But um, Landis' was, career was literally in the toilet. He was dragged out. Uh, basically, 
Eddie as oh, a well, favourite. Wait, wait, wait. Just in fairness, <laughs> though, he's made a whole bunch of movies in between those two things happening. So in 1983, you got the Twilight Zone, the movie, which has an unfortunate accident where there was... We'll talk about it sort of briefly. Uh, there was a issue with a stuntman of whom ended up dying along with... Actually, we weren't. There were, yes, children died. Children died. Horrible. Yeah, and there was a sense of culpability because the director is really the head of the production, and he should be the one making sure that safety is of paramount. And it wasn't just a, like he was. He went to court for a manslaughter and yeah. um, got off because of Hollywood or whatever. Because it was he wasn't considered. He got off. Yeah, but films that he did like after that, like it's not like he was out in the wilderness. Uh, he's directed notable films like Spies Like Us, which the Chevy Chase... Was that after that? That was after that. Mm. So, Twilight Zone Movies, 83. 85, Spies Like Us. In 86, Three Amigos. 87, Amazon Women on the Moon. 88, Coming to America. John Landis didn't make Three Amigos. Totally did. Oh my God, everything I believed is... Coming to America. Maybe the best film he ever made, Oscar. <laughs> starring <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. Oscar it's Sylvester Stallone doing some comedy. Wow, I had no idea through me. He goes, it makes sense now that you mention it. Jeez. And then, yeah, 94, he made Beverly Hills Cop 3. So I think the Playboy article that we were talking about was uh, maybe to hire him for coming to America. And it could have been that Beverly Hills Cop 3 was the second time he... Oh, you might be right. Actually, yes. Sorry, I think you're right that the article was about hiring him for coming to America. That's right. And that kind of gave him a boost again because coming to America was quite popular but the uh, the the other thing is like yes he may he might have made those movies in the interim but the court case and everything dragged out for a very long time uh, that's so I entirely think that, possible I, I don't think the details were really there until around the start what year is coming to america uh i've scrolled past it but i want to say it was 88 people can do their own research on this it's a fascinating <laughs> story uh, we're only just digging their thing but the, the main thing i want to talk about was, was let's not pretend like <laughs> let's not forget he had some acting roles as well such as playing jake's friend in battle for the planet of the apes in 1973 sorry go on um, I didn't know that. That's a pretty good one. He's also in Blues Brothers, but no, only for a He second. also has a credit playing Grover in the Muppet movie. Like, is he a puppeteer as well by trade, maybe? Well, they might have just got him in to, as a favour. Yeah, it's unusual. It is unusual. He's an unusual man. But, you know, the, obviously, a bunch of those movies are some of my favourite movies ever made. Blues Brothers, Three Amigos, which I don't even know he made. Um, and the, the, you know, this, this is... A, and, like, Spies Like Us is very good. All, all, all this kind of... This very interesting action, you know... Kind Sorry, of. one other thing. Uh, Eddie Murphy and Landis worked together as well in Trading Places. Yeah, Trading Places was the first one I mentioned and pay attention. Sorry, I was not. Um, and nor will I ever again. <laughs> so anyway, I just wanted to watch this movie because it was such. it's such a weird thing. It's so obviously a rejected diehard plot. It was this kind of... There was this awesome period in the 80s where you had your movies like you had your Fletch, you had your Beverly Hills Cop 1, where there was, um, you know, it was like action comedy had to be... Um, there was this excellent period in the early 80s when the Saturday Night Live stars like Chevy and um, Eddie Murphy started getting films. They had to be these action films, right? And that was kind of like the comedy wasn't enough to get it through. Action movies were in this weird sort of post-kung fu world and we had these great um, action comedy crossovers that happened a lot. Uh Beverly Hills Cop 3 seems like it was a long time past that, past the sort of idea of that being interesting, yet they still tried to do it. Um, there's these weird, very John Landis beats, like a bunch of mechanics in a chop shop who are like singing along to a sort of an old um, Ronette style girl group song who then get like mercilessly <laughs> murdered. You know, there's all these kind of like, they have a little, like, like a, it's like a miming musical number, like those kind of, like very Blues Brothers kind of thing. But then, and you know, that sort of stuff happens in... 
Three Amigos as well. But then, like, it just turns into this... My little buttercup. <laughs> really weird, exactly. And then it turns into this just totally weird action film, like, where there's just over-the-top stunts with, like, uh, Eddie Murphy, you know, jumping on the top of Ferris wheels and... 20 minutes of the movie is just him sort of saying hello to everybody that was in the other movies, and it's just an absolute disaster. Um, but it was fascinating to watch in light of the sort of recent conversations, in light of Eddie Murphy having a bit of a comeback. It's just kind of like this idea. I, I loved watching it in the idea of this sort of like excessive Hollywood and then like the sort of the, the failures of that at that point and them not being able to kind of take what was great about these insanely popular 80s action comedy films and how it just kind of like well and I think like Die Hard had a lot to do with kind of killing that well I'm not sure that Die Hard really is responsible for it I think it was really just the glut of those films just consistently but also there's something with comedy as well where comedy is so rooted in the time period that comes out where if you suddenly have a bit of a shift in the cultural conversation that's happening around it you can maintain some of the same uh, like um, structural aspects and carry that over to like a new film so for example like the lethal weapon films very much typify that 1980s very, like, yeah, yeah, aesthetic yeah. and you can apply that to the 90s and have will smith and uh, martin lawrence and bad boys sure similar sort of a thing going on and it's you know it's just but bad boys feels relevant to the 90s in a way that lethal weapon didn't lethal weapon i've got the first film and the second and to an extent the third but by the time that third's <laughs> happened but like that's where the cultural shifts happening yeah and like yeah, that yeah, sort yeah. Of period stops quite being relevant and that lucky gets a three because you look at say the ghostbusters yeah where 84 that film is very much that sort of uh saturday night live era comedians doing you know action sort of fun comedy stuff yeah 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 but by the time that 1990 rolled around like that sort of vibe of comedy had already moved on so you can't really recapture that yeah yeah like, and- you have to do something else and so, you know, remakes of these things rarely ever work because it's just not rooted. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so it was it very but much. Yeah, I, I think by the time Beverly Hills Cop 3 happened, like that was just outside of it that. It was so outside of, of yeah, yeah, yeah. It just seems so out of time. And it even seems like they're kind of, a, it's, it's almost got a self-awareness about it being out of time. It's almost apologetic for it, but not. And, and it tries to kind of do some of these, I think. it's It tries to tip its head hat a bit more to like the Blues Brothers and to come, some of this stuff where it just. Which just doesn't work at all. Yeah. Um, interesting, just talking about Die Hard. You said it was kind of like a rejected Die Hard uh, script. Well, because it's locational, no, you know, because it all happens in There the is no such spot. thing as a rejected Die Hard script <laughs> because they never wrote any of the movies to be Die Hard scripts. Oh, yeah, right. The they, first one. they all got co-opted into being Die Hard scripts. Yeah, they right? were just like, we want to make a new Die Hard. What if we got sitting around? And then they'd scribble out some names and that was you that, But you know what I mean? There was that whole period where, like, it had to the action had to be based somewhere. Like, mm. it had to be on a boat or it had to be, you know, like, under siege. or Yeah, it's it going to be on a train yeah, or yeah, it's in yeah, a submarine. Yeah, or, yeah. So it very much had that sense. The other co- the, the other really funny thing, which was heaps of Landis Beats as well, was the um you know it's a fake version of Disneyland, so there's kind of like fake, you know there's there's like fake um fake Mickey Mouse and fake, so there's a lot of kind of creative sort of jokes amongst that. And the movie See you Next Tuesday would have been playing somewhere. Yes, probably. Yeah. You know what that's about? <laughs> I know what it. Well, in all of Landis's though. films, he's got a film playing. There's usually like movie posters in the background somewhere, or there'll be like a marquee outside of a cinema in the background of a scene. And it's always a film called See You Next Tuesday. Mm, really? Is that in Three Amigos? Oh, quite possibly. <laughs> I'm going to have to watch them all now. <laughs> and the man's a monster. Um, so anyway, yes, that was way too long to talk about. Beverly Hills Cop 3, you can watch it on... I've got no idea. Is now. the man a monster or is he just negligent? Uh, I don't know. He sounds like... the more I kept reading... He's raised tra- a terrible son. I'll, I'll <laughs> give you that. Absolutely. Like every, I tried really hard to find some redeeming things written about this man on the, anywhere on the internet, and it was very, very hard to find. So, um, you know, having always been a big fan of his movies without ever doing any 
research whatsoever, I'm now like, oh, God. But sometimes you can like the work, not the Absolutely, artist. Absolutely, trust me. Yeah, mm. Sometimes. Um, I think it's your turn, Dan. What have you been watching? Okay, I'm going to very quickly talk about two films that I saw recently. It's a very movie-heavy podcast. Yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, except for when I saw about Four Weddings and a Funeral, which is a TV show <laughs> and not the movie. Oh dear. I'm going to talk about a film called Miracle Mile from 1988 starring Anthony Edwards. You're going to nail my ass. Tell Dad. Just tell him that I am sorry about that summer. Okay, he'll know what I mean. All right, all right, look, that's enough. Just tell anyone. This is a joke, right? Yes, sir. No. No, sir, I, I was just checking the circuit, sir. Wait. Wait! Listen, it's probably a felony to joke around on the phone like this. Who are you? Who am I? Now, Chris, Anthony Edwards, your favorite actor? I believe that's right. I love Anthony Edwards. This is the kind of thing that this is the kind of movie that I would talk about on this podcast, and you would groan at me for doing it, and then later be like, you know, dude, you really got to pick up your game a little bit on this. We got people listening, and uh, I don't know whether it's going to happen. You're saying this. You don't even know what the next movie I'm going to talk about is. <laughs> Miracle Mile. The reason I mention this is because it is maybe the most bonkers movie I've ever seen in my life. Oh my god. Uh, this was recommended to me by uh, Simon Foster, who we had in here to talk about. What was he in here talking about? It was... Uh... He was here for a, a serious reason, but then he talked about Hollow Man, which is all I can remember. He was that's talking about the... Uh, oh, Captain Marvel. Uh, yeah, Captain Marvel. That was the right. film. Um, yeah, so... Let's get him back. Love him. We really should. Uh, so, he programs a movie festival every year. It's a sci-fi film festival. And this was the, I think, closing night film for the festival. And he was telling me about it. And I'm from like, last year. From festival. last year. And he was telling me about it. And I thought, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it at some point. Then I stumbled across it. And I was like, my God, this is actually amazing. Uh, Anthony Edwards plays this dude who he's like a bit of a nevishy kind of a guy. He's an Anthony Edwards type. <laughs> uh, this is also, I should say, from 1988. Uh, he ends up meeting this young lady and it's basically just like a rom-com. Like, she's a bit of a quirky, you know, just kind of like a, playing a Zooey Deschanel sort of weirdo quirky type. Mm-hmm. Okay, he ends up meeting her. They have a bit of a rom com sort of first, like, 15 minutes of the film. And she works at a late night diner. And he's supposed to meet her after her shift, so she's supposed to finish at like 2, 3 in the morning. And he's got to go and meet her. His alarm clock doesn't go off, and so he ends up waking up like about an hour afterwards. And he's like, oh no, I forgot the thing. So he gets down there, but she's finished her shift and she's already gone home. Anyway, he's feeling really bad about it, and the other lady working there won't give, her the num- give him the number to call so he can apologize and whatnot. So he's kind of just hanging around this diner, and there's a phone call that happens at the phone box out the front. And it's a dude who's called the wrong number, and he's saying that there's a nuclear strike that's about to happen. And he starts giving him all this information about the nuclear strike, and then he realizes he's talking to the wrong person. And then all you hear is sort of military sounds in the background, this guy being shot to death. <laughs> so you've gone from this rom-com to this ridiculous premise about this guy of whom has found out about a nuclear apocalypse about to take place that's going to destroy Los Angeles where they are. So he goes into this bar and there's a very tense thing where he has to convince everyone at the bar that there's nuclear uh, missiles that have been struck. This is is so good. It's completely ridiculous. And so the film goes from that to him just trying to navigate his way around the street to get to this building that's apparently going to have a helicopter on it so he can go and meet up with everyone else from the diner who's heading straight to the airport. Because thankfully Denise Crosby is, and she's from Star Trek um, and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, she has some sort of contact of whom has organized the plane to take them away and it's 
It's ridiculous. Unreal. But as the film goes on, it's one of these things where word has gotten out about the nuclear strike that's going to take place. And so it starts to become bedlam on the streets. So it goes from a period of just no one on the streets because it's the middle of the night. So suddenly, like, the streets just packed with people and everyone's looting and rioting. And so things just getting worse and worse. But it starts this crazy rom-com, which is a strange thing to begin with. Like, the tone of it was just so offbeat. And then it comes to, like, this weird post-apocalypse thing. And the question hanging over it all is, was the guy on a telephone telling the truth or not? Spoiler alert, because no one's going to watch this. He was accurate. And the movie ends with them in this helicopter that ends up going down while the nuclear strike's happening around Los Angeles. And they land in the tar pits. Um, I can't think of the name of the tar pits now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The tar pits. They land in there, and it's about them sort of drowning to death at the end. It is nuts. Absolutely fantastic. I loved it. I cannot it, wait to watch it. People need to check out this movie. You'll never come across it because it's, you know. <laughs> yeah, how would you? How did it you is f- what it is. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to ask you how you found it. Uh, um, so anyway, it's called Miracle Mile from 1988. See if you can find it. A couple of um, Anthony Edwards films leading up to this, I just want to say. Were, he had quite the career. Yeah, he was Goose in Top Gun. Let's Obviously. not forget. Um, He's in the film Downtown. He won't be returning for Top Gun 2. Um, he was in, Why not, Chris? <laughs> he was in Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise. Not Revenge... Oh, no, he was in Revenge of the Nerds 1 as well. Um, and then, yeah, Miracle Mile. And then um, a bunch of other movies no one's heard of. Unbelievable. That's so... He, he was a big... What was his TV show? One, of, one ER. of those shows you love, ER, of course. That's he right. was one of the biggest stars on television, That's Chris. what he became. Yeah, that's right. But he was such a like a little, a weird little B-star actor before that. So yeah. funny. Um, that's fantastic. I can't wait to watch Miracle... Uh, Miracle Mile. Miracle Mile. Far out. Now, the other film I want to talk about is something which has a bit more gravitas. We'll say that. It's a film from 1969 called Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. This could be one of those ultra-exclusive discotheque nightclubs where the jet set comes to play. But it happens to be a stage at Columbia Studios in Hollywood where they're filming the Frankovich production... Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. A comedy about two young couples who start out as best friends and carry on from there. Natalie Wood is Carol. Robert Culp is Bob. Elliot Gould is Ted. And Diane Cannon is Alice. Chris, have you ever watched this? You know, I, th- I feel like I have in my days of trying to watch all those classic 70s movies. Or but, did you just um, see the Mad Magazine parody cover? <laughs> I definitely have, definitely saw the Mad, <laughs> Mad Magazine parody of everything that's ever happened. Um, no, but I, d- I think I... Oh, it's actually 69, right? Is that yeah. Right? Yeah, but I think I went through... Yeah, I, I'm sure I've seen it. Yeah, so this is a film by Paul Mazursky. Uh, it stars Natalie Wood, uh, Robert Culp, Elliot Gould, and Diane Cannon. The film... It's Huge. A, um, well, you know... Elliot huge Gould's cast. huge. And also Natalie Wood, you know, obviously big at the time. It's got the four of them. Both of them, two separate couples. Uh, one of them, it's set in 1969. So it's definitely about the sort of period of flower power, this traditional sort of belief systems being sort of toppled over. And you get the feeling that these are two sets of couples of whom have been friends for quite a long time. One set of couples, uh, which is the Elliot Gould, Diane Cannon, they're very straight-laced and... Well, not straight-laced is probably not the right term, but they're very just mainstream. They're normies. Normies. Meanwhile, you've got the Natalie Wood, Robert Culp couple, of whom are people of whom have been sort of tasting a little bit of the 60s and the freedom that's being offered to them. And they're playing around a little bit more with expected roles for them in society. 
the two of them go off to a nudist colony for a weekend and have quite an experience together. And there's the revelation that Robert Culp's character, Bob, had had an affair. Anyway, because it's 1969, his wife, Carol, she like thinks about it for a moment and she's like, you know what, I'm not actually really that jealous about it. And she sort of explains that, you know, she feels that she should be angry about it, but she's kind of not and she forgives him. Oh, nice. So they're out at dinner with their other couple friend, which is Ted and Alice. They explain this and Ted and Alice, uh, they feel a bit off about it. Alice particularly is just like really angry about the whole situation. And Ted reveals that he's also had an affair and it sort of upsets their marital status for both couples as they try to redefine the terms of what their relationships are. And the film, as people who half know the movie would know, ends with the idea that all four of them will try to have some sort of large sexual experience together. Anyway... Won't say what happens there, except they all end in a tar pit, Chris. <laughs> yeah, and the yeah, nuclear yeah, missiles yeah, go off. Yeah, yeah. Um, Robert Culp. I just wanted to point out uh, that was a big, uh, greatest big favorite of mine from the Greatest American Hero. He was yep. the FBI agent, I believe. That, CIA, um, I believe. CIA mm. that um, helped our hero through his his coming of age as a superhero. Yeah, fantastic. I've all, I will always love him for that. When I saw his photo, I thought, "Oh, was he in the Fall Guy?" But no, no, that was Lee Majors. Lee Majors, of course. Yeah, similar hair, similar similar hair, and similar kind of like. And even like uh, George Papard had that same kind of big, you know, American smile. And I'd also like to tough point out, I think I'm too young to really know the full guy and greatest American <laughs> hero. What have I done with my yeah, life? No, exactly. <laughs> you spent a lot of your time when you could have been doing something a lot better. Could have been talking to girls. So, classic movie. I think it's well worth checking out. I'd never seen it, but it was an aspirational film that I'd watch at some point in my life. There is a collection of 10 movies that Quentin Tarantino has selected as part of the promotional rollout for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And a whole bunch of TV networks and broadcasters around the world are playing this as a, you know, little mini movie festival. And there's just like this really interesting selection of films, none of which I can remember except for Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. <laughs> yeah, right. I was planning to get through them all and I just have not. Uh, Robert Kolb, of course, from I Spy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with Bill Cosby, who actually makes an appearance in this film in a very blink and you'll miss it. Wow. Literally a blink and you'll miss it role. Hmm. Sorry, Chris just showed me a picture of him starring <laughs> I Spy. Uh, but anyway, if you want to check out like the movie collection, I think that they have already started screening in the US. It was screening there on the Sony channel. In Australia, it's on SBS, and I'll be playing a few of them, I think, in sort of late night sort of time slots over the next week. There was nothing else in there that you'd seen before? or I can't remember what else is on the list, and I meant to write that down before I got in here. That's right. But if you want to see the movies that inspired Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, for one reason or another... It's definitely a list of films worth checking out, but I think the best of the lot from what I remember was Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. I'd rather see the list of films that inspired the movie than the movie itself, Dan. That's another <laughs> day. That's another story for another day. Ah, uh, Chris Yates. Um, we're done. We're done. It's been a great. It's been a great uh, chat with you today, Dan. I uh, haven't seen you for a little while, so I've re- really enjoyed catching up with you again. Oh, it's been forever. Alwaysbewatching.com. Check that out. There's a newsletter. There's social media you can sign up to. Just get on Google. It's all there, or Obsa Vista, or Ask Jeeves. It's funny, the email started showing up in my email account. I don't even actually remember subscribing to it on my um, account. I don't know how that happened. Because you were complaining about it the other week, and so I just fixed it up. Because <laughs> I've got the editing powers. Yes, yes, yes. I'm just yeah. giving you shit. Nah. Jeez, Chris. Is that not obvious? Jeez. Folks, I'll try harder. I'm getting out of here. I'm tired of being <laughs> trash-talked by this <laughs> Yahoo over here. See you later, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Bye. <laughs>